And I went there that morning. I woke up that morning. I knew it was going to be the day. And you know what? That pastor did not give that invitation. But as I was stand, sitting there, I could not physically leave that building that day. You know? So if you were in that position, you feel like, man, I've heard the word. I've heard the gospel. I might, I might even grown up in a Christian home, whatever that is. But you're sitting here and you've never made that commitment. It doesn't have to be anything big. In your heart, all you do is pray to him. Just like the person on the cross, that day, he says, you will be me in paradise. It's a heart issue. So that's what I want you to do. If that's where you are today, please, please, don't leave here. And I'm going to mention that again before it's over, so that's just the first start. Um, I do want to just spend a little bit of time. And what, how I ended up here today is I had something I wanted to share with you, and I wanted to do it during an announcement time. And the pastor said to me, well, you know, 29th of July is free. Maybe you should go up and say it then. So here I am. I want to talk a little bit about, um, I'm going to title this family business. In my last church, we always just have family business. when so we would talk about church stuff. Sometimes it was good stuff. Sometimes it was bad stuff. Sometimes it was just conviction stuff. But today I want to talk a little bit about church stuff. And I want to talk about serving and especially children's ministry. Okay. Like, like my wife said, normally at this time, you've sent the kids off. They go behind the door, and there are volunteers back there who teach them, and they walk through that. But that's always a struggle to get folks to be there. And uh, Felicia Mason, uh, the wife of John Mason, you know, she's full-time on staff. But she spends a large part of her time just trying to get folks to be here on Sunday morning, making phone calls, emails, texts to try to fill that gap. She also spends a very large part of her time in preparing the lessons that are going to be taught. Because we have a philosophy here. I want to read to you something here, what the mission of the children's ministry is. The children's ministry seeks to provide a God-centered ministry that creates Sunday morning experiences filled with teaching the gospel and leading children in its truth. It is our desire to see children rooted in the word of God, growing strong, and yielding fruit in their community. Now, there are many reasons why this is important, but there is a one, one statistic I want to share with you. And if you have that, that stat, you can put up on the screen. A survey was done that shows at what age do people come to know the Lord. And Americans said this, that 85% of them came to know the Lord between 4 and 14 years old. 10% between 5 and 30, and only 4% over 30. Now, I bucked that trend. I came to the Lord at 37 years old, but I bucked that trend 85%. So we've got to teach our children here, now. But one more thing. We have them for one hour a week. If you come on Wednesday nights, we have them for two and a half hours a week. There are 186 hours in a week. So a huge part of the responsibility is really on the family, on you to teach them, to show them, to mentor them in the way of the Lord. We will come alongside you in those two and a half hours a week, but it shouldn't be the other way around where we're doing the, the bulk of it and the other way around. Does that make sense? So in, your, in every seat back is a green card. I want you to pull this out, please, because this is this important. Pull this out. It's a green card. On one side, it has on there the children's ministry mission, and it talks about a wanna also. And the other side talks about what the need is, the number of people that we need as part of the ministry. Now, when we look at children's ministry, if everyone would fill up those needs, 
right, and sign up, you would only have to serve about once every three to five weeks, depending upon the number of people. Okay, that's if you get a full, full complement of people. Okay, um, on the Awana side, that's an every week thing. But what we're looking for out of you really is a nine-month commitment, not a five-year commitment. We want you to serve for nine months, to commit to nine months, to be here for nine months, and to be there when you're asked, and be there when you sign up. Because a big part of what Felicia has to work with is between Friday night and Sunday morning, a lot of people call in for different reasons. Some of them are great reasons. Some of them might not be great reasons, but to fill that gap. So I'm asking you to look at this, and the back is a children's ministry or Awana's, is can you commit for nine months to the children in this church, to the lives of that 85% that we talked about? That's what we're asking you to do. Does that make sense? Thank you. All right, now, I'm already into my, probably into my sermon already, and I haven't really started yet, but um, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful, Lord, for this day. And uh, our hearts are rejoicing, but they're also heavy for uh, the Braxton family and the Buford family. So, Lord, comfort them at this time. And I pray, Lord, that they will feel your presence and they will know, Lord, that uh, you are with them and that uh, you, Lord, understand their, their hurt to be with them. Protect uh, Chris uh, on his uh, ministry journey in Seattle. And I pray, Father, that you will speak through him and that the lives of those people you speak to will be touched and they will be different. Lord, we pray for uh, John Macy, the healing for him and his back. Lord, um, just give him relief, Father. Give him relief. And for his wife that's concerned about him, just comfort her. And, Lord, I just pray for my family, Lord, as my wife goes off to camp. Bless her and protect her. But, Lord, speak through her so that, Lord, the lives of those children will be changed. We pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to share with you this morning kind of a, just a follow-up onto what we're saying. Before I get, before I do that, okay, I thought about being ordained and being here ordained. If you've been here over the past four or five weeks, those messages that have been delivered, there's always an action point, right? So my question is, have you taken any action from things you've heard over the past four or five weeks? If not, go back online, listen to the, the sermons or the podcast, and think about what you should be doing as a result of what you have heard. Because if you just come and listen and walk out the door and it's gone, it doesn't make any sense of coming at all. God wants you to be different. He wants you to change. And part of what I'm talking about here today is how do we get to that change? And the title of my sermon this morning is, is to abide, is to abide, okay? So before I get to that word abide, I want to talk about the first thing of just remember your service or what you do has nothing to do with your salvation like Christy has today. It's a result of, Right? You know, it's a requirement of. I remember growing up, you know, my dad used to tell me, you are a Lewis. Because he came from a small town. And he said, as a Lewis, there are things that you can't do, the things that you should do. Okay, as a Lewis. So as a Christian, are things that we should do. Okay? But it doesn't mean that it makes me Lewis. It means I'm living out that charter of my name. And as a Christian, we have a charter of our name. Okay? Romans 12 Verse 1 verse 2. Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Acting out and responding to the message that you heard is a reasonable service that you have. And I hope at the end of today, you'll have a better understanding of how to respond to the message today. The second part of that is... Be conformed, 
sorry, and do not be conformed to the world, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So our minds have to be changed. Our minds have to be reformed so that we can do what God says. And we're going to take a look at a text in Scripture that allows us to get there and understand what that is. So today we're going to jump in, and the verse for today, the verse for today is from John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I'm going to read through the first 10 verses, and I'll break it down after that. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is one of the final times he's getting a chance to talk to them. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit unto itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and in my word, and my word abides in you, ask what you will desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father, be glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my command, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's command and abide in his love. Ten times in those ten verses use the word abide. So I think that word is probably a little bit important if we spend some time on it. But before we can get to that word abide, we've got to look at those verses before. Okay? And so I want to start with verse number one. Because it sets some priorities here and it sets an order in place that is important. First thing it says, verse number one, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Okay? So he established a hierarchy that we cannot bypass. Who's in charge? God's in charge. Jesus is there. Jesus is the true vine. God is the vine dresser. He is in charge. We, he wants us to put him first. Sometimes, though, we want to put ourselves first, right? But let's take a look at this. God is the what? He's the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? He's the one that wheels the shears, right? Too many times when we decide to put ourselves first, we want to wield the shears. However, when we wield the shears, they're not usually pointed at ourselves. They usually point at somebody else. Okay, that's what we're doing. Let's get, let's get this correct here. God is a vine dresser. He takes care of it. He does the pruning. Okay. Verse number two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If you're bearing fruit, if you're not bearing fruit, you're lifted up. So that translation right there, in the New King James and the King James uses the word takes away. Other versions, and if you look, go back and read and look at that word, and if you look at the context of the parable, right, a vine dresser, if a vine is not producing, he doesn't cut it away. He usually lifts it out of the dirt and he lifts it up. So I want to go with that part there saying lift it up. If a branch that does not bear fruit is lifted up out of the dirt, because usually when we're not bearing fruit, where is our focus? It's down. It's on ourselves. It's not up. So God wants us to look to him. So he's going to lift that up. He's going to be tender and merciful to us at that moment 
Now's not time to be pruned. It's time to say, listen, child, I know that you're not doing well. Okay? I want to comfort you, but don't forget where the focus should be. It's on me. Okay? It's lifted up. Verse number three. And it kind of, a little bit, this verse here says, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. This is a word of comfort here. If you look, read through the Gospels, many times in the Gospels, he'll say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. Okay? And that comes from his power. Then he usually heals them afterwards. But here he's telling his disciples that they are clean because he has spoken to word to them and they have responded. Okay? And they are clean. I'm not sure why he put that right there, but he wants us to know that do not forget that renewal comes from him. Renewal comes from the inside. He lets them know that they are clean, and then he goes on more to talk about, about abiding. Verse number four and five. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Okay? So verse 1 sets a hierarchy so we can abide in it. Number 2 tells us that God is doing the work. Number 3, that clarifies our eternal status. And then 4 and 5, we are told to abide in him. Okay? Now, so let's look at that word, spend some time with that word. That's what we spend the rest of the day is the word abide. Abide is a, is a verb. That means to stay, to remain, to be true, to persevere, to remain beside, to remain near. Okay? Now, it's used three ways here. It's used as a command, it's used as a warning, and it's used as a promise. In verses 4 and 9 is the command to stay in Christ, to stay in his love, to stay in his word, and to stay in obedience. Verse 4, 5, and 6 is used in the warning. Life is only in Christ. Not remaining in Christ is worthless. Life is only productive in Christ. And life not in Christ, there is no reward because you're living for yourself. In verse 5 and 7 is the promise. The Spirit will live in you. The Father and Son will make their home in you. Remaining in Christ brings much fruit and your prayers will be answered. And we'll come back to the prayers of the answer part because that's important. But, you know, it's, this is in John itself. But in 1 John, the word abide is looked at. And it's looked at in this way, that is being Christ-like, having works of eternal value, faithfulness in the truth, close connection to the spirit, having a godly lifestyle, refraining from evil, love of God in action, and living an intimate Intimate, daily, obedient relationship with God. Second John, abide, means remaining faithful in love. Make sure that the truth stays in you. The truth is sufficient, don't add to it. And staying in the truth is staying in relationship with the Father and Son. The word abide carries the idea of continuing, enduring, awaiting, dwelling, withstanding, firm, and being immovable without yielding. Abide. Abide is an imperative, not just a suggestion. It is a command. Because the reason why we're commanded to do something because it's not, does not come naturally. Every we see God that says command you to do something, he's telling you, I'm commanding you this because you're not going to do it naturally if I don't command you to do it. 
So here he's saying, abide, abide, abide. Abide is, you know, here's the thing. Abide is not just a New Testament concept. If you look in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 1.22, when Hannah, okay, had that young baby that she had prayed for, she said to her husband, okay, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I'll bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. Psalms 61.4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covenant of, the wing, of thy wings. Psalm 67, sorry, 61 verse 7, he shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Psalm 91.1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty God. So this is a concept that's always been there, but my old pastor used to say this. He used to say, Old Testament truth, New Testament reality. And Christ is bringing that to reality of the, of the disciples at this point and bringing it to us. See, abiding really is a secret of fruit bearing. If you want to bear fruit for God, you have to abide in him. You know, if you go back to the analogy, okay, if that vine's not connected, I don't know if how many of you guys have gone out and cut flowers, like, you know, we've got the flowers in here today. Flowers, the flower no longer sprouts. You can put it in water, but unless it gets roots, it's not going to sprout anymore. You know, I remember my dad used to, um, used to graft plants. He used to cut a piece of plant off. Now, if that plant he cut off, he didn't do anything with it, it's going to die. But he would go to another plant, and he used to love, to, he used to cross-pollinate. He used to take um, citruses and get, you know, oranges and limes and put them together. He would little, little, put a little slit in that branch, and he would put that little, little piece in there and wrap it up. And after about six months to a year, that thing will start to bear fruit because it's connected. If it's not connected, you can't bear fruit, you know. So there are two things to realize that you've got a, that plant now. That piece he put in there has to then what? He has to surrender to the bigger plant. So we have to surrender to God, okay. You have to yield. You have to obey because if you're not doing that, you're not really abiding. And there is no fruit and there is no growth. Abiding also involves spending time in the word and meditating on it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, John 5, 15, 7, ask and it will be given done to you. Okay? So I'm going to tell you a story here about that, about the word and abiding. And there was a, uh, there was a, a famous uh, evangelist now who, in his younger days, was in Vietnam. And he had a Vietnamese interpreter. And uh, after the war was over, he lost contact with that interpreter. And then um, some years later, not too long ago, he got a call from this guy. And he, the guy was in Los Angeles. And he was like, man, I've been thinking about you. Whatever happened to you? And this young man, this young Vietnamese man told this story. He says, you know, after um, Vietnam fell, I got captured because I was an interpreter. So I was really an enemy of the North, 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 North Vietnamese. So they end up in a, in a prison camp for many years. And he says, you know, after a while, because of the treatment and the lack of any nourishment from the word, I started to really question my faith. You know, wondering, is all that stuff that you talked about to all these people, did it really make a difference? You know, because they were indoctrinating him to take away that from him. And he's having a hard time. And he's struggling. He's really struggling. And he got a job. One of the tasks he got one day was to clean out the latrine for the officers. And realizing it being a prison camp and being back then, there were, probably wasn't toilets. There was probably just buckets. Okay? 
And he said, one day I had a bucket in my hand, and I looked in the bucket, and something caught my eye. It was a word, Romans. And he said, I looked at it, and he said, I know I'm under scrutiny. So he says, I reached into this bucket of sewage, and I pulled that piece of paper out, and I put it in my pocket. Because Romans just stuck with me. And it turned out that the officer was using the Bible, the sheets of Bible as toilet paper. And he pulled that out, and he got back to his room at the end of the day, and he cleaned it off. He was able to read from Romans. And he said he started to then volunteer to clean out the toilets so he could reach in and pull out this piece of paper and clean them off so he could read the word. So he get plugged into the word. Now, there's another part of that story because he's doing that and he's being plugged back in again. And the word is in him and abiding in him. And he and some other guys decided they were going to try to escape from this prison camp because it was so bad. And they were planning and planning and planning, and they were cutting wood and saving wood to build a raft. And one day, these three Vietnamese guys came to him and grabbed him and said, we know your plan to escape. I want to know your, your plan. And he said, no, we're not, we're not trying to escape. And they roughed him up, and they said, we know, we know it. And he said, no, no, no. So they let him go. And that night, he got convicted by that, that he actually lied. He's in the word. He's plugged back in. And he's convicted that he actually lied. And he tells God, God, if they ask me again, I'm going to tell them the truth. So they planned and planned. And they had a raft built, secretly built. And the night before they're supposed to leave, they came to him again. And they grabbed him and says, we know you guys are planning to escape. We want to know what it is. You tell us the truth. And he tells them the truth. And their response was, Take us with you. Take us with you. And they set up the next day on this little raft, and they made it to Thailand. In the storms, in the waves that were bad, and the only reason why they made it is because those three North Vietnamese men were sailors, and they were help, able to help them navigate that boat. Without that, they wouldn't have made it. He told the truth. He was abiding in the word, and through that, he was convicted. And we are convicted by the word when we stay within it. And we never know how God's going to answer our prayers with that. He abided. Now, having the word, do you really love the word? I'll tell you one more story. There's a lady in China that um, her village where she was, her father was the mayor. And when China went through their great revolution, uh, Mao Zedong took over, and they came to the village because China then turned atheist. They came to her and asked her to renounce her Christianity because she was a Christian, and she said she wouldn't. So um, I'm not sure what the overall circumstances was, but here's what they said to her. They gave her a room, and they said, you have a room? They said, this street here is your job, and every day you go out there and you sweep that street. That's it. That's all she got. Whatever you eat, you got to figure out yourself. And she was doing that. And the story goes that she'd been doing this for 15 years. And there was a missionary from the state, and his wife were going to China and trying to share the gospel. And when they were going, they took seven Bibles with them. But at the border, at the border, as they're going through, the Chinese guy looks at it and says, seven Bibles in, seven Bibles out. 
So you can come and do what you want here, but you got to take all those Bibles out with you. So they ended up in that village, and someone says to them, there's a lady you have to meet. There's someone you have to meet. And they got a chance to meet her. And they went in and talked to her, and she told them her, their story and told about her existence. And they said, can we pray with you? And she started to weep, she said, because in 15 years, no one has prayed with me. And they prayed with her. And they asked her, is there anything we can do for you? And she says, yes, I want your Bible. They said, okay. So they go back to their hotel room. They're sitting there, and they look at their stack of Bibles. Seven Bibles in, seven Bibles out. Somewhere in that night, the Lord spoke to them, and they got a razor blade, and they opened up those seven Bibles, and they cut a seventh out of each Bible and made a new Bible that they gave to that lady. And they were able to get out of the country because there were some Bibles there. But think about this. For 15 years, that lady never had anyone to pray with her. For 15 years, she had no word that she could read to be nourished. But she had abided in God in that time. And God preserved her, and then God rewarded her by his word again. Another part of uh, abiding is confessing. Is if there's sin in your life, you gotta, you got to get rid of that, whatever that is. You gotta turn it over to the Lord. Open up your heart and give it to him. Just confess to him and allow him to help you walk through that, okay, and get rid of that sin. A third part of, of, of the staying connected is desiring to do God's will. Psalms 40, verse 8 says, I would delight to do thy will, O God. The law is within my heart. So if the word is in you, then you want to do God's will. Abiding. And evalu let's evaluate how we're doing. What are some of the other evidences of, of God abiding in you? The first and foremost is fruit. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Okay? Now, what is the fruit? Let's spend some time on that. Um, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. In Christian life, we have to glorify God in what we do. But that fruit, you know, if you look at Galatians 5, 23, 22 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such is no law. So here we're talking about a character. In Matthew 15, says, The light shall before men may see your good works. So stay with me on this. I want to I just share this with you. I'm going to read this part. All true works must be fruit. The, group, the growth and product of our inner life, the operation of God's spirit within us. But also, yet all fruit must be work. The effect of our deliberate purpose and exhortation. In other words, bearing fruit is every good work. So the two are tied together. In my character, in my outflowing, in the things that I do, I'm exhibiting the fruit of the spirit so that my works can be what? Can glorify God. Okay? So if you're not plugged in, how can you have fruit so that your good works are then worthy? Because we're told if our works are not worthy, they are what? They're burnt up. They're tossed away. Okay? So the fruit is, is, is what we're looking for. If you are maintaining close relationship with God, then the results will be fruit both in, in and through your life. Okay? Now here's the thing. You might not be conscious of all the fruit you bear. You may have to wait to go to heaven before you see that. Yesterday, this room was full of people 
you know, um, praising Tawanda and the works she did on earth. But you know what? When she gets to know the Lord, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's going to remind her of all the other things, good deed that she's done. And part of that, she won't even know she had an impact on in a new way. It's growing in holy living. Experience victory over temptation. Okay? Growing in love. Conversely, the Christian who's not abiding is what? He's selfish. He's missing the joy of bearing and sharing. A second evidence of abiding is being pruned. And this is a hard one here. Okay? Is being pruned. Jesus said, every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay? Going back to that example, going out. And you've probably, if you have a garden, you've done that. You've gone out to look at things and you've snipped here, you've snipped there so that it can be more beneficial. What are you snipping away? You're snipping away the things that are not beneficial to that plant, what? Bearing fruit. So in our lives, in our lives, God might look at us and say, you know what? You're doing good, but man, this thing over here, I gotta, you got to get rid of that. And he might take that away from you. He might snip that. It might hurt, right? But there's a difference between hurt and harm. God's not harming you. He's simply pruning you. And if you're not being pruned, then you have to ask, well, am I really that good? We have to really think about that. What is it in my life I need to change? What God needs to change in me? Because sometimes he might change it real drastically, you know, versus a, you might use a, you know, machete versus a snipper, right? And that might not be good, you know? So being pruned, okay? You know, we always ask why. We always ask why. But the why we should ask, the question we should really ask as we go through day to day and as we experience things, great things, terrible things, we should be asking, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? What are you teaching me in this? Because sometimes the lesson is not necessarily because that situation had any directly to do with us. Okay? Think about Job. Think about his children. Right? His sons and daughters. They died. Right? And I don't know, but at the moment when that building was falling in on them, did they say, why us, Lord? I don't know. Maybe they did. But what happened to them was not about them. It was about Job. In our lives, we might be in circumstances that things might seem hard for us, where it's about somebody else that's being taught, or we've been taught through someone else. Okay? So that pruning, that learning, is something that we have to really be open to. And if not plugged into the Word and reading His Word all the time, and every day, and being, being confessing. Sometimes it's really hard to really understand and see that, what that is, what the lesson's being taught to me. The third is a growing sense of weakness. The more you say plugged into him and plugged into the word, you realize how really weak we are. You know, um, there's so much that we think we can do that we can't do on our own. The Father reminds us that we are the branches and not the vine itself. Okay? Like for me today, standing up here, this is not my, you know, me. You know, I'd rather, you know, I love doing things with my hands. Being in the pulpit, not so much. But he has said, like I said before, he's put me here for a reason today. Okay? So I've got to say, okay, Lord, I know I'm weak, and I've got to really sit down. When I study, I've got to give it back over to him all the time. And as I'm standing here, I'm going to give back over to him. 
you know. I remember my former pastor said this. He went to speak somewhere. And uh, Hutch was a big man, and he was, had a lot of confidence. And he said one day he had this message he was going to give, and he walked up there, and he was ready. And he got up to the pulpit, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, man, you think you got it? Okay, you got it then. He stepped away from me. He said he got to the pulpit, and there was nothing. And he realized that without God, he was nothing. He was weak. And that's what we have to be, you know. Now, our inability to recognize weakness sometimes comes at the heels of a success. Okay? And sometimes we react to that before we realize it. And I think about Elijah. Okay? He had a great success. Remember that day? Fire from heaven, burning up water, burning up an altar, slaying 700 priests. Right? The next day, where was he? Running in the desert. He had a great success. And after little things God had to say to him, what are you doing here? He forgot the power of God that he had the day before. Okay? When was Jesus tempted? After 40 days of fasting in the desert. That's when he was tempted. Okay? There is a weakness that we have where the enemy will come in on us. We have to be aware of that. So when we are strong, we are weak. When we are weak, the enemy wants to come at us. And we have to be aware of that. You know? Um, and remember that the power of Christ dwells in us, in our weakness. Another evidence of that is answered prayer. Prayer is not just an exercise. It's, a, it's an act of obedience to God. Are we being obedient to him when we pray? Prayer is part of an intimate relationship with God where we share our hearts with him and we grow in love and faith. Jesus says in, in verse 7 of John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask what you will, it will be given to you. Now, let's, be, let's understand this. Because Psalms 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 1 John 5.14 says this, If you are abiding in Christ, his word is abiding in you, then you will pray his will, and it will be answered. So if we're not abiding in him when we pray, are we praying for ourselves or are we praying for the will of God so that he is glorified in that? And that is the error that we have to really be careful because sometimes we pray and say, well, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? But if he's not truly answering versus him delaying you, he might be saying that this is not my will at this point in time. Okay? Fifth evidence is love for Christ and his people. Now, do you love people? Do you love other people? Do you love other Christians? Do you pray for them? You know, in this country, we have a wide variety of different churches and a lot of different theologies and everything else, okay? And sometimes we get so caught up in our theology and our traditions that we start looking askewed at the person that worships a different way. Where is that love? We can disagree, but I can still love you. You know, in your family, you disagree. You still love each other, Okay? But he has a command here. John 15, 9 says, This is my command, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Okay? The tr closer you truly get to God, the more you will you share his love with others, both in your actions, your deed, your personality, your desires. That's what that's talking about. Okay? Peter wrote, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. 
See, the test of love is really sacrifice so that when your brother sins against you, you can truly forgive them and love them in that. The next one is inner joy. Inner joy. If you're connected, you have inner joy. John 15, 11 says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. See, joy is not the absence of trouble. It is deep peace and confidence in the midst of trouble, of having joy. Having joy. And I mentioned Colleen Fox. I walk into that room and I see her, and she is joy. She's a tumor in her brain that's growing, that's taken away her life. But she has joy and peace, inner peace. It has come from a relationship with God that has been different over her life. You know, it says here in Romans 14, 7, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The things that make you happy are, the, are really the things that make you joyful, or are they the same thing? I don't think it is. Just being happy and joyful are two different things. Spiritual joy is only experienced when we do what? When we abide in Christ. When we abide in Christ. And some of the evidences I talked about here is we bear fruit for God's glory. We experience the Father's pruning that we might bear more fruit. We have a sense of weakness. We have our prayers answered. We love the brethren. We experience a deep joy. Now, here's the thing. Not, you're not going to have all of those all the time. You know? some, of the, some days might be great. Some days might be bad. But that shouldn't change your abiding in him. If you're abiding in him, those things will come at different times. And rejoice in those. Give thanks for each one of those when they do come. Because as you do that, as you show, uh, go back and use joy for that, that becomes infectious to people around you, the people at work, the people at home. In closing, okay, we need to examine ourselves sometimes. As the branch, we need to examine ourselves. If you are in a season of discipline, it might be that the vine dresser simply come down and lift you out of the dirt. And he's saying to you, get, get your face out of the dirt. Have you ever done to your kids, sacrifice kids? Get your face out of the dirt, you know? And, and turn and look and turn your focus towards me. If you're in a season of abiding, it might be that you're being pruned. And the pruning produces a result that is for God's benefit. So all this that we talked about, abide is a, both a call and a command. Because going back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, our good works should do what? Should glorify God. Make sense? Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Father, you've brought us to this point, Father. You've given us your word. And Lord, you've told us that uh, if we abide in you, Lord, that there's so many things you expect from us, but so many benefits from us. So Lord, as this day, as we leave here, Lord, I pray, Father, that the distractions of our lives will not remove that away from us, Father. No matter what it is, Lord, in this congregation, Lord, there are so many things that have gone on in people's lives. Some of them we know about, some of them we don't know about, Lord, that are stealing and zapping away the joy they may have, I pray, Lord, for each one of us, Lord, that each day that we get up, Lord, that we put our hearts point towards you, that we stay connected with you by doing all the things that you've given us in your word to do, by staying connected, Lord, and allowing you, Lord, to bear the burdens that we can't burden, but also allowing us to fill us up with joy. May our prayers, Father, be the ones that are in your will, 
that you can be glorified by whatever it is that we do. Lord, so as we leave here today, Lord, guide our path, protect us from the evil that is around us, Lord, and allow us, Lord, to be the light that shines upon that hill. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we all say, Amen.